Thank you so much. Love those wonderful hymns of our faith, how meaningful they are to us. You know, a pastor one time announced to his congregation says that I want everybody to read the Gospel of Mark chapter 17, and next week I'm going to preach a sermon on lying. And next Sunday finally arrived, and he asked for a show of hands. How many of you read Mark 17? And just about everybody's hand went up. And he said, well, that's interesting. There are only 16 chapters <laughs> in the Gospel of Mark, and he went on to preach his sermon on lying. Well, I'm not going to do that to you this morning, but we are going to talk about this whole idea of fake news and half-truths and all the deception today that we seem to confront in this world. We're going to talk about overcoming some of the problems that entangle our life, that keep us ensnared and feeling trapped. You know, living in a world of deception, living in a world of half-truths, all the lies that people seem to tell themselves can really be something that holds you back. So we're continuing our sermon series that we're calling Escape. Escape. And as you know, as we go through life, there's all kinds of things that can really weigh us down. There's all kinds of things that can really chain us and trap us, and you almost feel like you're in one of those escape room situations. You become claustrophobic, even paralyzed, and you don't know which way to turn and how to get out. There's all kinds of things. There's fears that you're going to face. There's depression you're going to deal with. There's cravings that are going to really take over and command your attention. So we want to encourage everybody. We want to pray for one another. We want to really lift up the name of Jesus before us and help one another to free themselves in Jesus Christ and to know that there is hope and there is freedom. And we want you to find that today in Jesus Christ, to really lay aside all those things that uh, are really the, the handcuff us, the, the mindset out there that keeps us from our walk of faith. Now, the scripture teaches us that we can do it because we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. And with God's help, we can find contentment and we can know real joy in Jesus Christ and we can live a life of satisfaction and deep peace. And, uh, you know, how often today we compare our gift, what God has given to us, with that of someone else. And that is incre incredibly easy to do with social media, is it not? I mean, things can be going great in your world, and all of a sudden you open up Facebook. And you see someone else there, and it's often one of these pictures where, I don't know what it is, but their feet are dangling over some wonderful body of water, some great swimming pool, and there's all these palm trees and wonderful places, uh, you know, all over the planet like that. And all of a sudden, you wish you were there. Or something that you see on Instagram or some other place. Thanks to social media, it is so unfortunate today, but we compare ourselves to other people. It's so easy to do. But the problem with that is you are comparing your behind the scenes with somebody else's highlight reel. And how ignorant it is to find ourselves comparing our paycheck to somebody else's paycheck, or to compare one's family to another's family, or their relationship and, and what they have with what I don't seem to have. 
And when you compare yourself to others, it makes you feel either inferior or it makes you feel superior. And neither one of those honor God. And so many want to live in the land of the er. They want to live in that land of being better or richer or faster or happier or superior or stronger. And that's a no-win comparison. Everybody else simply wants what everybody else has. But it gets worse because many not only want to live in the land of Ur, they want to even go on to the land of Est, E-S-T, the strongest. They want to be the richest, and they want to be the fastest, and they want to be the happiest. They want to be the best. And I got to tell you, the quickest way to kill something special is to compare it to itself. Now, we see this kind of thing in the Gospels. If you'll stop and think about it and get out that lens for just a moment and reread some of the Gospel text, and suddenly you'll begin to wonder, is there an element here of comparison? There's a hint there, I think, when the disciples begin to talk about who will be greatest, for example, in the kingdom of God. Or maybe it's when James and John, the sons of Zebedee, ask in Mark chapter 10 and verse 37, will grant us to set one at your right hand and the other at your left hand. Or maybe it's on the news of the empty tomb. And we find ourselves in John chapter 20, and stop and think about it. The disciples have just learned that the tomb is empty. And then John, the writer there, writing in the third person, he begins to write, and I think it's interesting here, how he's comparing himself running with the other disciple here, Peter, and he happens to note in the text that he made it to the tomb first. Ha, 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 I got there before Peter got there. And he's speaking about how much faster that he is than the other disciple. Or yet there's another conflict going on between the disciples when John calls himself, I'm the one that Jesus loved. We see that about five different times in the Gospel of John. Uh, the disciples whom Jesus loved. I mean, evidently there's some element of comparison. Now, this whole thing of comparison, it's a human thing, isn't it? And we can never be what God wants us to be if we are always comparing ourselves to everyone else. We can never be faithful in doing what God has called us to do. We can't safely follow Jesus if we're always comparing ourselves to somebody else. If we're always looking at what we got and then comparing it to what other people got, there's not enough really er, or there's not enough est in the world to really satisfy your life. You can't get enough like on Facebook. You can't find enough followers on Instagram. You can't get enough money, enough land, enough status. You can't get enough of a perfect vacation to settle your life. There's not enough on the outside to quench the internal hunger of your soul. Only Christ can fulfill that. There's never an external source that can satisfy all the material things of life on the internal that we so crave. If anything besides Jesus, I want to say to you today, is your goal, you're running a race that you will never win. That's why I like one of those great texts in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. And there the writer says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked for us. Did you understand that phrase? The 
the race that is marked for you. It indicates you run with perseverance the particular race that God has for you. God has a lane for you that you need to stay in your lane and run it. Uh, God has a place for you. God has a purpose for you. God has given you unique, wonderful skills and gifts. And you have a role. You have a mission. And God wants you to fulfill that mission, to stay in your lane and to run the race that God has for you. And do what you can to keep your eyes at all time upon the Lord. Now, when you run a race, you're not supposed to look to the right and to the left or even to the back of you. You know, I've been to the baseball field. I've been to the track uh, uh, field. I have been to the football field. I've been to many places. And you often catch these players that are looking to the right or looking to the behind them to see if they're going to be caught. And they end up being caught. And they take their eyes off of the goal. We're to run with perseverance and not look at what is going on about us, but to keep our eyes focused upon Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, you don't have to run someone else's race because where comparison begins, contentment ends. Now, we're going to share communion together here in just a few moments. And before we do that, I'm going to just quickly remind you here of three simple things that you need to do to apply in your life right now to overcome this, uh, this kind of deception in your life. Because so many people start living their lives based on half-truths. They're not really comparing apples to apples. They're, they're really looking at other things instead of looking into the eyes of God. Three things that we need to do if we're going to escape this kind of deception, if we're going to learn contentment and live at peace. And the first one is very simple, and that is to resist comparing yourself to other people. Comparing always seems to lead to coveting. And America's favorite indoor sport is the art of comparing. It's so easy to do. You go to somebody else's house and you look, wow. You begin to make comparisons. Look at that drapery. Well, look at that floor. Did you see how big their TV is? Did you notice the jacuzzi? Those kinds of things all of a sudden begin to ponder in our mind, and we're constantly comparing, and it keeps you frustrated. It, 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 and we need to stop that because the first step in becoming a contented person is to stop comparing yourself to other people. You know, when I first started the ministry, uh, we used to have monthly clergy breakfast. And of course, the districts were much smaller, and uh, maybe 20 churches or so in a particular area, and the district superintendent would gather all the pastors about once a month, and it was really good to get to know each other. But one by one, it seemed like people stopped coming to them. And I think I know why. Because there was this whole idea of comparison as the pastors got together. They started saying, well, my church just received 25 new members. How about you? Or our attendance just went way up. Or our giving is through the roof. And it really made other people begin to really get focused on other things, what they didn't have instead of staying in their lane. If you're going to learn contentment, you've got to stop comparing. Now, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. We do not dare classify or compare ourselves to others. It is not 
wise. That means it's really dumb. If you're comparing yourself, your houses, your cars, your jobs, your looks, your clothes, it's stupid, he says. It's a, not a wise thing to do. God says you just create dissatisfaction in your life. We need to learn to admire without having to acquire. And it's not just a good idea to stop comparing. It's a commandment. And that's why I've included these commandments here before you. Particularly this last one. Don't you find it interesting of all the things that could be listed here? Batting cleanup is this whole idea of not coveting. You shall not covet anything belonging to your neighbor. Coveting means that uncontrolled desire to acquire. It's such an important sin to avoid that it's included, folks, even in the Ten Commandments. And that word covenant there, it, it really is an interesting word out of the Hebrew language, meaning to grab it or grasp so tightly that your hands are so tight you can't even let it go. And if God ever gives you something and he tells you to give it away and you can't, you don't own it, it owns you. I wonder today, what owns you? God is not saying you should never desire something. I mean, that's not Christianity, that's Buddhism. But when a desire is uncontrolled, it becomes coveting. And when you desire something that is not yours, that lends itself to evilness. But a desire in and of itself is not a negative thing. I mean, nothing can be accomplished unless you desire to do it. If you desire to follow Christ, I mean, obviously there's desire in that. You have to desire if you want to follow the Lord. If you want to become a more loving person, you have to desire to be a more loving person. If you want to be a more generous person, you've got to desire to be a more generous person. Desire in and of itself is not bad until it's uncontrolled and you think you've got to have more and more and more and more. And the root of that kind of desire is in comparing yourself to one another. And you can't have a contented life until you learn to resist comparing. And comparing just leads to coveting and covetousness leads to every other kind of sin. You know, if you stop and think about it, as someone has rightly pointed out, if you look at a lot of the other commandments, they have at the root of that a covetous element. In commandment one, you're not to have any other God before me. Or in commandment two, don't have any graven images. Don't bow down to any other material thing. Or number three, don't take the Lord's name in vain. The idea of coveting. Or in commandment four, the Sabbath day, to leave that day of rest and rejoicing in your life and not be so concerned about running here and there to get other things. I mean, if covenants, it, it probably amounts to all the other commandments being broken because it seems to be a basis of all corruption. You know, I've heard many a pastor, and I have to confess that I would say the same thing as I think about my ministry that they have never heard anyone really ask forgiveness for covetousness. Charles Spurgeon said that at the end of his ministry. He was the 19th century called the Prince of Preachers. He said all the thousands of people that came and gave their life to God. He said uh, there at the end of his ministry, he said, you know, I have to say, no one that I know of ever converted from covetousness. Bishop LaSalle in the Catholic Church said the same thing. Also, Francis Xavier, the leader of the Roman Catholic Church of yesteryear, he listened, he said, the 
thousands of confessions during his lifetime. And he said, you know, I have to say, I've never heard anyone confess to covetousness. We always think that it's reserved for the other person and not us. It's a deceiving sin, and if you're not careful, folks, it can deceive you. The first thing we need to do if we're going to escape is begin to resist comparing ourselves to other people. Another thing is to rejoice. We need to rejoice in what you have. Appreciate what you have been given. Be thankful to God for the incredible provisions that he has extended to you. The gifts and graces are special in the eyes of God. You are a person of great worth. You are a person of beauty. And God loves you today. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, if God gives a person wealth and property, he should be grateful and enjoy what he has, for it is a gift of God. What is it today that you have, that you have uh, really your hands upon? It all comes from God, and you should be grateful for it. God says, I want you to enjoy my gifts and to be grateful for what you have been given. It's a gift, and you wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for God and his grace. It's all a gift of God. And the Bible says God has richly provided us with everything for our enjoyment. And God wants you to enjoy what you already have. We not only resist comparing, but also we rejoice in what God has given to us. And then another thing that we really need to refocus on what's going to last. Refocus on what is going to last, to give your attention to things that are permanent, to really think about reorganizing our priorities and our life around those eternal values. In 2 Corinthians 4, fix your attention, Paul says, not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. That's what lasts forever. Or even there, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, a person's true life is not made up of the things he owns, no matter how rich he or she may be. Culture says, if I have a little, then I'm worth a little. But that's not true. Because the cross says, you are worth a lot. Because God sent his only begotten son for you. Let me sum this up. If you have self-respect, really self-respect, and if you love other people, and if you obey God, you will covet nothing, for there will be nothing to desire that you don't possess. Think about it. The secret to true happiness is really to want what you have in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the deal. This sermon today isn't meant to shame anybody. I'm not here to point fingers. We all struggle in our faith from time to time. We all have issues that we deal with. But it is worth noting that we often spend money on things we want. We often spend our time with the things that we crave and that we really want. That's where our money goes. And the more we want something, the more time we spend, the more willing we are to pay. And so really, in another way of looking at this, at, at the very core of this is the question this morning of 
How much is God worth to you? And as we come before the Lord's table today, I hope we'll spend a few moments giving God thanks for all that he's provided for us and confessing in our lives this whole sin of covetousness and that we might truly appreciate the gifts that God has given to us. Shall we pray? God, we thank you for these moments where we could read your word together, be reminded of these commandments, how they've been taken out of the public square these days, taken out of our schools, taken away from our kitchen tables, cast aside. But Lord, help us to reclaim these important truths that you've given to us. Help us, O oh Lord, to see a better way exist to live our life. And as we prepare for these moments of communion today, may we look deep into our heart. May we allow your Holy Spirit to really show us how our life would be so much more peaceful if we only stop comparing ourselves to others. May we set our sights upon you, things that will last, the eternal things. You know what's really important and follow that race that you have given to each of us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the Lord Christ. Amen.